Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Well, today's message is the third part in our series, Breaking Oppression. And in this series, we're talking about areas of our lives that could come under oppression and how that will hinder us from experiencing God's plan and purpose for our lives. We want to experience the fullness of God's plan for our lives. And sometimes we're hindered in areas, and oppression is the source. So how do we describe oppression? Oppression is described as being held down, ruled over with a rod of iron, trampled upon, forced to one's knees, weighed down, preyed upon, crushed, and afflicted. This is not part of God's plan for your life. Jesus declared this in John 8, 36. Therefore, if, if the Son sets you free or makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So Jesus has set us free from both the power and the penalty of sin. Now, but we have an adversary. We have a spiritual enemy, a real spiritual enemy who opposes God's plan for our lives. He does not want us to walk in freedom and victory. So he will stand in opposition. So in this series, we want to identify areas of our lives uh, our lives that can come under oppression, and we want to break the power of oppression. We want to live out God's plan for our lives, and that's freedom. So last week I spoke to you about breaking the power of oppressing pride. And so how do we break the power of oppressing pride? It's real simple, humility. So pride is the source of all sin, while humility is the source of all virtue. If we choose the path of humility, church, you can never go wrong with that. If we choose a path of humility, it will break the oppressing power of pride, and it will always welcome grace into our lives. So when we welcome the grace of God into our lives, what does that do? It welcomes the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit can do only what he can do. He transforms our lives. He gives us greater freedom. So we need the grace of God. We need the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But we have an adversary who opposes that. Today I want to speak to you about breaking the power of oppressing unforgiveness. Breaking the power of oppressing unforgiveness. Now, pride and unforgiveness are very similar. And here's how they're similar. They both are grace-resistant. They both, they both oppose God's grace. So how can I justify that statement from God's Word? Well, the first one, pride, is pretty easy. Because we can look at James 4, 6 and just read, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So pride makes us grace-resistant. No, God hates pride. And I know that's a strong word, but that's exactly what the Bible says here in Proverbs 8.13. Check this out. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. And these are things that God just despises, and pride is one of them. Pride generally manifests in stubbornness, in arrogance, or this. We just simply want to exalt our will our way of doing things over God and his word. Pride makes us resistant to grace, but humility, church, humility makes us recipients of God's grace. Unforgiveness is very similar. Similar in this manner, that unforgiveness is grace-resistant. Again, how do we justify that statement from God's word? Let's read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9, it says this, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Look at this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us of our debts. We're not talking about money here. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus said God's kingdom must come and his will must be done. Therefore, our will, what we want to do, our plans, our purposes, or the way we want to do things, his way supersedes that. God's will, God's plans, God's purposes supersedes ours. So how how does that truth impact our lives? How does that truth come into play into this subject? Well, let's go down again, look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive those who sin against us or our debtors. So as we forgive, God expects us to forgive in the same measure, please hear me, the same measure that we've received forgiveness. His plan is that we give forgiveness in that same manner. So as you have received forgiveness, you also should give that same forgiveness, same measure. The Lord's Prayer, when it ends with those words, Amen. In case we didn't get that message, Jesus immediately follows it up here in verse 14. Look at this, Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, or you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's a very powerful statement. If we choose not to forgive those who have wronged us, it will make us resistant to the grace of God. I mean, forgiveness is, is not forgiveness the most important facet of grace? So if we're not willing to forgive as, we, as we've been forgiven, it will make us resistant to grace. Forgiveness, again, most, the most important facet of grace. It frees us from bondage and baggage. Unforgiveness, what does it do? It's similar to pride. It creates an armor, an armor around our hearts, and it makes us resistant to the grace of God. It keeps us from experience and freedom and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Keep this in mind. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a Christian home. Those words that Jesus spoke are not exempt from us. So it doesn't matter if you were raised in a Christian home. You are not exempt from those words. It doesn't matter if you said the sinner's prayer and you were baptized. You are not exempt from the words that Jesus spoke. It doesn't matter if you were born again filled with the Holy Spirit your, those words that Jesus spoke, we are not exempt from those words. If you, if you were in ministry and gave your life, you died a martyr's death, you are not exempt from the words that Jesus spoke. The measure of forgiveness we receive determines the measure of forgiveness we give. So while Jesus hung on the cross, keep this, keep this in picture in mind. While Jesus hung on the cross, people rejected him, spat upon him, hurled is, insults upon him, And so while people did this, what does Jesus do? While he's hanging on the cross, dying for their sins, and they're spitting upon him, they're hurling these insults, what is his response from the cross? Luke 23, 34, Father, what? Forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So if we want to experience the forgiveness Jesus offers us and harbor unforgiveness, it's going to cause us to experience a great deal of conflict. But we're too prideful to admit that we harbor unforgiveness. So we cover it, what do we do? We cover it with religion. And we convince ourselves that we don't have a problem forgiving anyone. I don't don't have any problem with forgiveness. 
See, we can try to cover unforgiveness all we want, but it will do this. You can try to cover unforgiveness all you want, but guess what? You cover it, it's going to pop up somewhere else. It's going to manifest in another area of your life. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness is a manifestation of unforgiveness. And church folks, we do this. We, we have a way of covering over this and because uh, we don't like things exposed. It is just the religious nature of man. We've got to really deal with that. I really feel like with all of our, we've got to really become a little bit more transparent about this. But we like to cover over our, our indiscretions or our unrighteousness. And we'll say this, well, I've forgiven a person when we have it. And we pretend it's okay, but it's not. So religion creates a facade that covers over our unrighteousness, but it's powerless. It is powerless. You can cover it with religion all you want, but it's powerless to keep from whatever's being covered from oozing out into our lives. So when we cover unforgiveness, bitterness oozes out from under the cover of religion. Bitterness is a sign of oppression. So what is bitterness? When we're talking about bitterness, what is that? Bitterness is defined as anger, disappointment at being treated unfairly. It's resentment. So bitterness is resentment. It's dissatisfaction. It's disgruntlement. It's discontent. It's a grudge, holding a grudge. It's indignation. It's hostility. It's friction. It's spitefulness. It's vindictiveness. It's loathing. It's venom. It's poison. It's nastiness. It's ill feelings. And it's bad blood. And if any of these words describe an area of your life, or your attitudes towards another person, there is a stronghold of unforgiveness in your life. So if any of those words describe there is a there is a stronghold, and it must be broken. It must, that is not God's plan for your life. In the Hebrew culture, any poisonous plant was called a bitter plant. And the author of Hebrews uses a bitter root as a metaphor of what would bring harm to the church. And bitterness in a church will compromise our effectiveness in this community. If we have bitterness that is in our church, it will compromise our effectiveness in this community. So bitterness is a poison, and it will pollute the local church. So if you have bitterness towards another believer, it will branch out under the surface. It always does. It will branch out under the surface, and what it will do, it will just raise up in different areas. And what does it do? It poisons other people. The root of bitterness will spread under the ground, mostly undetected for a long period. But finally, it breaks through because you can't keep it down. It, it just comes up in other areas. It will surface. It will manifest in a number of ways. Here's one way bitterness will manifest. Bitterness will manifest in gossip. So we tend to think of gossip as this. We're sharing information that's not true. Do you know that's not gossip? I mean, that, that is a form of gossip. We tend to think that it's only gossip if the information is untrue. Gossip is information shared. And it's information that's shared true, untrue, partially true, or just your opinion. When it tears down another person or puts another person in a negative light, that's gossip. It doesn't matter if it's true. If, you're, if your intention is to pull another person down, put them in a negative light, cause someone to look at that person negatively, it's gossip. And it's, all it is is a symptom of bitterness. There's a bitterness in your heart 
So why, why would someone, think about this, why would someone go out of their way to tear another person down? There's a bitter root, that's why. There's a root of bitterness in that person's heart. Don't allow people to do this. Come and dump bitterness in your ear. Resist the poison. The next time someone starts dumping into your ear, just politely, you don't have to be mean. I don't think it's right to do that. Don't be mean. Just say, hey, listen, I, I need to stop you right there for just a second. This is what we need to do. Let's do this. Instead of having this conversation without said person, let's go and have this conversation with said person. And, but it'll do this. It'll stop your ear from being a dump truck. Usually the source of bitterness goes back to a time when someone caused some type of indignation, and we never got over it. We may have gotten offended and pretend it's okay. It's what we do. It's what we do in church. But eventually what happens? That, that nasty poison that's in here that we're trying to keep hidden, it just starts oozing out. It just starts popping out in ways that we can't even control. Bitterness will cause you to put another person down, and it will give you some type of satisfaction. Listen, if you get any joy out tearing another person down, there's, there's a problem right here. There is no other justification. There is a problem right here. So when bitterness roots itself in a church, it will appear to be supportive but under the surface, there's this brewing discontent, this anger, this frustration, this hostility. And it finally just bubbles up. And it just comes out. When it comes out, it's always nasty. So bitterness is a manifestation of unforgiveness. And what does it do? It opens the door for oppression. It welcomes oppression. Right, It, it shoves grace right out of the way. And it welcomes oppression into your life. Bitterness will do this. It will pave a four-lane highway into your life. And it will destroy every meaningful relationship that you have. Our marriages, our relationship with our children, our grandchildren, close friendships, all of them will begin to crumble. All of them will fall apart because that's the destructive nature of bitterness. Bitterness will isolate you. It will make your circle of friends that you trust smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Eventually, because our heart is so full of that poison, that oppression comes in. Satan is just easily oppresses it then, just continues to put pressure on that wound, pressure on that hurt, that that unforgiveness begins to destroy your relationship with God. When the Israelites were delivered from their bondage in Egypt, they were free. God was leading them to the promised land. During that journey, they, they encountered difficulty. And they perceived those difficulties this way. Well, God, God is allowing these difficulties to happen. Why on earth would he allow these difficulties to happen? I mean, he just brought us out of Egypt with all these miracles. So God must have an issue with us. He's, he's harming us. But remember this, anytime you follow God's plan, or anytime you dedicate your life to Christ, uh, you are not promised a problem-free existence. But this was their mentality. This was their mindset, because there was a wound. There was a wound under the surface. So the Israelites, they th perceive these difficulties as God's unwillingness to keep them from experiencing difficulties. And remember, they had all these miracles on their behalf. I mean, they go through the Red Sea, just an amazing miracle. They see how God's leading them by, by day, by cloud, and by night, by a pillar of fire. I mean, they, they experience water from a rock in the, middle of, in the middle of the desert. God provides them manna from heaven, right, bread from heaven. They, they cry out to God for meat. God sends them quail, all the chicken they want. God leads the Israelites all the way to the edge of the promised land. It takes you right to the edge. I mean, right here, 
I can't do anything else where you've got to go in, and when you go in, then I can give you victory. But what do they do? And there's nothing wrong with what they did. They sent spies into the land. Let's see if the land that God has promised us is as good as he says. What did they find? It is as good as, as he says, and it's even better. It's a land that is plentiful, a land flowing with milk and honey. But there's a problem. There's a difficulty. What's the difficulty? Well, the land's spacious, the land is plentiful, but the land is full of people who are more advanced than we are. The land is full of walled cities, people that are, are ready to fight, and we're not going to be able to take them. Remember this, this is the land that God's promised them, to give them. This is the land that God has performed miracle after miracle to get them there. But yet they're, they're at the edge and like, we can't do it. We can't take this land. But God's promised this land. Ten of the twelve spies concluded the land could not be taken. When the people hear the bad report, all the bitterness that they have towards God comes to the surface. It finally erupts. Numbers 14.3, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our, our wives and our children should become victims, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? These people were free from the Egyptians, but the bitterness and the resentment that they had towards God finally comes to the surface. Because that's exactly what it was. Why did God send us to Egypt in the first place? Why did we have to spend generation after generation as slaves? This difficulty just brings up the subject. It just brings up the feelings. It just brings up the past. And it finally just explodes. Because you can't hide it, church. Unforgiveness, bitterness, it will erupt at some point, someplace. And you know what? When it does, it's never a good place. When unforgiveness reaches that level, it's grace-resistant. It's totally grace-resistant. Unforgiveness and bitterness must be broken in our lives. How do we break unforgiveness? How do we break bitterness? Humility and repentance. See, our adversary hates the fact that we can repent, and we can humble ourselves, and we can experience grace. So what does he do? He will do everything in opposition. He will, he will take every feeling, every emotion, every story that we've believed, and he will spin it. And he'll continue to whisper lies into your life. He is a master of deception. And he'll take a real wound, and what will he do? He'll just begin to antagonize. He'll begin to irritate. He'll begin to press on it. He'll do everything he can do to keep us from humbling ourselves and experiencing repentance. As a result, we listen to our hurt, or we'll listen to the lies. Either one, the hurt or the lies. And we'll hold a, a person accountable, unwilling to forgive them, unless there's restitution or restoration on our terms. As a result of our disobedience, that gives our adversary a greater opportunity to oppress us. We can't experience a resolution on our terms, church. When we experience oppression due to unforgiveness, we know in our spirit that something's not right. We just know something's not right. Where is this hostility coming from? Where is this anger coming from? Where is this resentfulness coming from? Where is this frustration coming from? Where, where is this apathy? Where is this criticalness? Where is this negativity? All signs, something is wrong. Something is wrong. But instead of humbling ourselves and figuring out what's wrong, what do we do? We take that internal discord, we just get hide it with religion. Just hide it. The Holy Spirit does this. He tries to draw us to a place of honesty, a place of humility. But what does pride do? Nope. Pride says, no, our pain, our shortcomings, we don't want them exposed. We don't want anyone to see what's in here. 
Here's the lie we believe, because if anyone truly sees what's in here, they won't accept me. It's a lie. It's a lie. Stop believing a lie. Believe God's word. It's true. Pray that our shortcomings will be exposed. So what do we do? We double down. Nothing's wrong. Everything is great in Beulah land. But it's not. It's not. There's such turmoil under the surface. And this is a terrible way to live, church. It's a terrible way. God, this is not God's plan for your life in Christ Jesus. How can we fulfill God's plan for our lives if we're poisoned with bitterness, if we're full of unforgiveness? The answer is we can't. So how do we break the power of oppressing unforgiveness? If we want meaningful relationship with God, if we want a meaningful, healthy relationship with other people, other believers, it will require humility. Always humility. Humility is always the path to healing. Humility is always the path to forgiveness. Humility is always the path to restoration. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves in the sight of God. Boy, that's an important phrase right there. Don't wait to be humbled. It's never good. Humble yourselves in the sight of God or in the sight of the Lord, and what will he do? He will lift you up. See, if we humble ourselves before God, we do things according to his will, his purposes, he'll do what he needs to do. Just let God be God. But it's hard for us. It's very hard for us to sit back and let God be God. But it will save you so much trouble, so much headache, so much turmoil. You'll have greater peace if you just let God be God. So when we choose to humble ourselves, what does God do? He's going to lift us up. If we try to remain in a position of control, if we try to vindicate ourselves, if we try to help the Holy Spirit do what we think he should do, you're not going to experience grace. You're not going to experience mercy. You're not going to experience everything you really need because that is not a humble heart. That is a, pride, a prideful heart, a resistant heart. Those responses are, res are again, fueled by pride. And, and pride, again, will take grace right out of the situation because pride calls the shots. So how do we humble ourselves? By letting go of our bitterness and let God be God in our situation. Let it go and choose not to be bitter. First step. Let it go and choose not to be bitter. So I've done that. Repeat the steps. Let it go. Choose not to be bitter. It's still not working. Let it go. God isn't going to miraculously, hear me, he's not going to, this is a character problem. This is, this is a flesh problem. This is a virtue problem. And that's hard for us to understand because there's a wound. There's an exterior wound. How can this be a virtue problem? But you've got to hear me. Please hear me. You've got to choose to let it go first. Not to be bitter. God isn't going to miraculously change our bitterness into grace if we refuse to humble ourselves. He can't. Why? 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 Because that's pride. Pride is coming through, and it will resist grace. If we humble ourselves, what will God do? He will lift us up. What does that mean? He will heal us. He will free us. He will restore us. He will give us grace that, that we can overcome. He will humble, a humble heart welcomes grace. It welcomes mercy. It welcomes the power of God. It welcomes the Holy Spirit into our lives so that he can do only what he can do. Humility empties ourselves of ourselves. Humility empties ourselves of ourselves. What does God do? God can lift us up. If you want justice, if you want to be respected, if you want to be vindicated, if you want to be right, if you want to be validated, that is going to oppose grace. Why is that? Because it's simply self rising up to the surface. 
Forgiveness can be tricky for some of us because it requires repentance. And when I say that, I can already feel under the surface saying that. That when I say that unforgiveness requires repentance, I can already feel the tension. Our flesh hears that word repent. This is what it says. Why do I need to repent? Why do I need to repent? They mistreated me. They misrepresented me. They hurt me. Why do I need to repent? See, repentance doesn't mean you're wrong and they're right. Repentance doesn't mean the pain someone caused you was okay. Repentance keeps you right and it keeps your heart humble. It keeps you open to grace. Repentance keeps you from handling a situation your way. And when you handle it your way, we should all know this, it never is good. It's always a mess. God can lift you up if you allow him, but if you're calling the shots, he can't lift you up. If we let God handle the situation his way, we'll bring, he'll bring a resolution. If we don't humble ourselves and repent, it's usually a sign that we just don't trust God. How many of you have ever gotten to this place? I know that if I trust God with this situation, he's going to do what he does, and I don't agree with it. See, if we really be humble and honest, there's times in our lives where we're like, I know how God's going to handle this, but I disagree with it. Jonah is a great story, isn't it? I'm not going to those people and preach because they'll repent. What does he do? He goes his way. What is that? Pride. We want to handle it our way because we feel like God won't. He won't handle it our way. So what do we do? We resist. And that reveals our resentment right here. When we repent, when we choose to stop undermining a person, when we choose to stop sowing seeds of discord, which is very dangerous, when we choose to be kind rather than hostile, when we choose a path of virtue, when we stop looking for what's wrong, we start celebrating what's right, when we choose to stop doing things our way, we start doing things God's way, what do we do? That's repentance. That's repentance and that's humility. And what does that do? It opens the door for God to flood you with grace. When we choose a path of humility, God sends us what? Freeing grace, transforming grace. The Holy Spirit can enact on that. He can empower that. But pastor, I for, I've forgiven this person a hundred times. Why am I still oppressed? Most likely you've prayed these words in some form or fashion. God, I forgive this person for what they've done. You've said the words from your mouth, but you haven't said them from your heart. And I can already say, how dare you even say that? Because that's the truth. Because here's the fact, it's hard to forgive. No one said it was easy. It's hard to forgive. But it must be done. Why? Because it steals life from you. It just is sucking life right from you. So what's your heart say to that? What does your heart say? Is your mouth saying one thing, but your heart was really saying another thing? Have you made an effort to do this, to reconcile with that person? It's a good test. Now you may push back and say this, I don't need to reconcile with them. They need to reconcile with me. The nature of your heart is being revealed. Do you really want grace? Do you really want forgiveness? Do you really want healing? Do you really want God to come in your life and do something incredible? Or do you just still want things done your way? I understand there might be situations, please hear me, where someone is no longer alive or the person was violent. So being reconciled to that person may not be the best idea. Because here's what could happen. If you were victimized physically, sexually, reconciliation may further that abuse. That may not be the best situation. I'm not saying that reconciliation can't happen, but you have to be wise in those situations. Are you following me? 
But I, be, I do believe there is a path for healing in those situations, but this may not, it may not require reconciliation. But most situations I'm talking about involving unforgiveness aren't on this level. Most of them aren't. So here's a good test. Can you go to that person who offended you, and can you ask them for, to forgive you? All right, I could already, I just, I just felt it again. They hurt me. I, I didn't do anything wrong. They hurt me. Please hear me. This is good and wise counsel from God's word. It isn't worth it. It isn't worth it. Your health, your well-being, your soul, it's not worth it. It's simply not worth it. Guard your heart. That's what's important. Guard your heart. If we can say to a person who has wounded us, please forgive me for not forgiving you. Just say this. When you get to this place where you know this, that you're harboring something, hostility, bitterness, anger, resentment, whatever it is, you come to that person and say, please forgive me for not forgiving you. You don't have to say, you did this, you did this, you did this, but forgive me now. That, that's not going to work. That is not, you are only going to drop a bomb in that situation. But you can do this. Simple words. Please forgive me, forgive me for not forgiving you. That's humility. And with sincerity. Can you do it with sincerity? If so, God, hear me, God is going to heal you, and God is going to free you. It's that simple. Freedom and grace are so much better than oppression. So much better than condemnation. So much better than conflict. Even if they respond like this, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't get mad, because they may not know. And if they're lying, don't get mad. You take care of your heart. If they respond, I don't understand why you're even harboring unforgiveness towards me. Don't give in. The flesh is going to want to say, oh, let them know. You let them know. Don't do it. Don't do it. Your flesh wants to unload on them. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It will not end good for you. Say this. At this point, it's really not important. I just need you to forgive me. If they tell you to go fly a kite, just walk away. Just walk away. It's, you know what you've done? You've put it in God's hands now. You don't, it's, you're clean. You're, you're done. You tried to do what you could do. I can, again, hear some pushback. I wasn't wrong. They were wrong. You see, if that's your focus, then that's the problem. Your focus is on you, not God. Remember, his ways of doing things are different than ours. His kingdom come, his will be done. They may be wrong. You may be wrong. It doesn't matter. It's not worth harboring unforgiveness. It will tear you apart. So when we do this, when there's no justification in our eyes, then that becomes problematic for some of us. We don't feel like there's an end, or we don't feel like there's a solution. Remember this. Sometimes we have a problem when people, again, offend us, and they hurt us, and we lose sight of this truth. And this is the truth we need to remember. This. When Jesus hung on that cross, when God on the, in the flesh hung on that cross, the Savior of the world hangs on that cross, and people begin to spit upon him, and people begin to cuss him out and curse him, uh, insults at him, and begin just to say all kinds of vile things about him. What does he say? What does he do? Because that's our example. You say, that's, that's hard for me to do. The Holy Spirit can help you do it. He can help you. If we don't accept or we f refuse to forgive, that's, that's on us. But here's what happens. If we go to a person, and we're, I mean, we're going the extra mile. Please forgive me. Forgive me for, for not forgiving you. Forgive me for holding any type of resentment towards you. And when we do that and they say, what are you talking about? 
or they tell you to get lost. God will take care of it. God will deal with them. Now, when you hear those words, if you have a little bit of something rise up and you say, good, God will get them. The problem's not fixed yet. The problem's not fixed. It's still there. I mean, if you want God to get them, you've got a problem still. If you get some kind of glee that God is going to get them, you got poison in your heart. Someone asks you to forgive and they refuse. Listen, don't take any comfort knowing that God's going to deal with them. In fact, you should hear this. If someone says, I don't know what you're talking about, go away from me. If they don't want to handle it correctly, your heart should break for them. Your heart should break for them, and really you should want to intercede for them. You should want to pray for them. You should pray for them this way. Not that they need to see things my way. No. God, have mercy on them. That's your prayer. God, have mercy. But you don't know what they did to me. I don't, but Jesus does. Have mercy on them. Here's another test you could take. Here's another way to know if you're, I've said the prayer, but I'm still being oppressed. I've said, God, forgive them. Here's a good test. Ready? Can you go to that per- person and say this? I would like to pray for you. And when you lay hands on them, they'll say, Lord, forgive them for being such a nasty person and hurting me in all these different ways. Because that's not going to work either. I'd like to do this. Can I pray for you? Can I, can I physically go and hold hands with you and pray with you and pray God's best for you with sincerity and with genuineness? Can you hold hands, pray with that sincerity from your heart and say, God, bless them. See, if you can do that, guess what's coming your way? Freedom. Freedom is coming your way. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it's coming your way. Keep your heart clear, keep your heart clean, keep yourself humble. Freedom is coming your way. I don't know if it's instantaneous. I don't know if it's a week. I don't know if it's a month. I don't know what's what's a year. But isn't it worth the wait? Because it will come if we do the right thing. Freedom is coming your way. Can you go to a person who hurts you, pray with them genuinely? If not, you aren't free. So if you can, show that kind of grace. Show that kind of humility. What does that do? It shows that something is happening. It shows a humility. It shows repentance. And know this, that freedom and victory is coming your way. And as a result, what are you going to have? Greater peace, greater joy. Isn't it worth it to have greater peace and greater joy? Isn't it worth it to be able to go through this life, face difficulties with great peace and joy? There's nothing that you can experience that is better than having the peace of God going through life and still encounter difficulty knowing that your heart is right and God is with you. There's nothing that can replace that. Unforgiveness is grace-resistant. What does it do? It calluses the heart. It refuses to show mercy. It cannot receive mercy unless it does this, unless it's humble and repentant. Forgiveness protects your heart. Forgiveness is an expression of grace. It keeps you pliable. It keeps your heart pliable in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Get that picture in Jeremiah of the, the clay on the potter's wheel. He can shape you. He can mold you. He can do whatever he wants. He can create you into a vessel of honor. He can do wonderful things. But when you begin to harden your heart, and what happens when it's hard, what happens when it becomes resistant, resilient, it has to be broken. Forgiveness protects your heart. Humility allows the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If you are humble and forgiving, the Holy Spirit will guard you. He'll protect you. He'll transform you. For some of you, unforgiveness It's robbing you. It's robbing you. It's robbing your relationships. It's robbing God. It's robbing your church. 
It's robbing your family. It's robbing everything. It's stealing. It's taking right out of your pocket, right out of your heart. Bitterness is stealing your freedom. It's destroying your relationships. Little by little, little by little, they crumble. It's keeping you from establishing healthy relationships. It makes you hostile. It makes you abrasive. Unforgiveness is oppressing you. We can't allow bitterness in the church. You just, we can't. Why? It's a poison. It is a poison. Hebrews warns about it. Don't let that poison in your church. You cannot allow bitterness to grow under the surface. Why? It will destroy relationships. It will just poison every relationship. God has a plan and a purpose for this church and this community. I believe that with all my heart. But unforgiveness and bitterness will derail it. Church, we're called to help facilitate life and grace and hope in this community. But if we are harboring bitterness, what will it do? It just shuts the door to God's grace and mercy. He can't channel it through us. He can't funnel it through us. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life of the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.